Evening, guys. Uh, welcome, welcome back for Faith. I think it is three point um, There's been so much, so much for us to, to unpack and dive into. You know, being able to see from the unseen realm, like we've been talking about, it's so essential for us to be able to see. Uh, with spiritual eyes, what is in this unseen realm that's for us um, as as the body of Christ? So, um, if you've got your your notes, you can turn to page page six, and we're just going to continue working our way through through some of these powerful passages. Um, if you've got your Bible with you, you can open it in advance to Matthew chapter twenty six, starting at verse thirty one. Um, but I just thought, but just before we get into our main scriptures tonight, it would be cool for us to read through um, uh, kind of where we where we left off this morning before we before we kick into the Matthew Matthew scripture. So we'll read through it. The guys might have a few few comments on these scriptures, and then we'll um, we'll dive deep into this uh, Matthew scripture. So Hebrews twelve one to three says this. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so you will not grow weary and lose heart. Another big verse, eh? Another big verse, and, and there's so much that, that we could even dive into in, in these scriptures, eh? You know, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You know, it's not, it's not just a song that you sing to your kids at bedtime. This this scripture has so much in it, you know. That Jesus being the author and the perfecter of our faith. Um, you know, like we looked at this morning, we're talking about how you know Peter talks to those who have received a faith as the same kind of ours, uh, same kind as ours. You know, and and so here we see that 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 Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the author, and and so. What, what do we see from this? It's that faith isn't taught, it's not learnt, it's received. And he's the author of that faith. And when he births faith in us, that's what enables us to see and live from his reality in us. And in the same way that he births it, he's the author of it, he's the one who's faithful to complete that work in us. So it's, it's Christ from beginning to end, and we get the opportunity of being participants in what it is that's been freely given to us by him. And so while, while we are not the author of it, we're not the creator of it, we're not the learner of it in natural learning, we're the recipient of it so that we can live from what it is that we've received. All right, in 10, Hebrews 10, 38, it says, But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Like we've touched on briefly over the last couple of, of weeks, there's such a major connection between faith and righteousness. He says, My righteous ones will live by faith. It says, Being able to see what exists in the spiritual realm is what enables us to live these lives of righteousness. You know, like Greg said this morning, to know how right we've been made in God is so utterly divine because we've been, we were born into Adam and we were born separate from God. Our entire inner realm screams at us that God isn't for us, that he's opposed to us. It screams at us that we need to somehow claw our way back to him, to please him, to obey him. You know, and, and yet he says that my righteous one will live by faith. He won't live by his own ability to please me. He'll live by what he sees in the unseen realm. He'll, he'll live not towards righteousness, trying desperately his entire life to, to somehow please or appease God. He'll live from righteousness because he sees that he's been made right through the blood of the cross, having been crucified with Christ, so, so that you can live 
from the victory that has already been won. You know, we, we were praying in the prayer meeting this morning about this victory that's been won. But actually, there's such a vital element there that the victory can have been won. But if you don't know the victory that's been won through revelation, you, you'll live as though it hasn't been run, and your life will reflect the fact that there's been no victory run, won, right? And so this is what faith does. This is what revelation does. It takes you from being outside to in. It takes the things that have always existed in God. It takes the things that were already finished and it makes them real to you so that you can live from the finished work, no longer striving to try and finish off the work that actually God says is already done and dusted, but you don't know and you don't live from because you don't have revelation. And yet this is what is so um, pivotal and so massive is that, that God is so willing to give us this revelation that, that leads to life. For those who have soft, fertile, hungry hearts, he's, he's looking to open up this unseen realm to us so that we can live these lives of righteousness. We can live from this completed work. So it's powerful stuff, hey? All right, so that brings us to our scripture for tonight, Matthew chapter 26. It's another awesome example of why it is so important to be able to see what it is that God's done, or in this in this case, potentially the consequences of, of not seeing and of not hearing or receiving the word. So open up Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. Um, we might uh, divvy the, the reading up. Chris, I don't know if you want to kick us off, mate, for the first, uh, first little section, starting at verse 31. Oh, yes. It's all right to read the Bible and you know, <laughs> when you gather, eh? It's all good. Um, then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. <laughs> tried to read that as pridefully as I could. <laughs> Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Okay, going. Uh, let's, let's stop there. There's enough, there's enough, enough there to get, to get us started and we'll, and we'll keep moving. Hey, Interesting, interesting verse, hey? Um, you know, it says, uh, Jesus says to them, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Interesting, eh, that Jesus is speaking from a reality that has already been spoken and has already been written. And yet Peter, through his, his lack of of sight, his, his inability to see and his inability to receive the word that had, has already been written, found himself in active opposition to what it was that, that had already been written, not just about him, but about Christ, you know? And so his response is interesting, like, like Chris said, and you did pretty well, Chris, at, um, saying that in a really <laughs> prideful way. <laughs> um, you know, um, he said to him, but, uh, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus says to him, truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. You know, it's interesting that Jesus has the ability not only to see what's written, but to discern the true state of, the, of those that he's walking with. It, it reminds me of, of you know, even in, in my workplace with Every year we have a, a new cohort of graduates that come through, and you can you can see right from the get go, the attitude that exists within them actually determines what's about to happen over the coming months and years. You know, those who are teachable excel, and those who think that they have it all together are in for a rude awakening. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and for both for both for both postures, there's an opportunity for learning and for growth, but one is harder than the other. And unfortunately, Peter's about to learn the hard way, the things that had already been written beforehand, so that he can come into all that was available in Christ, which he does, you know. 
So guys, um, any, any thoughts from those, from those key opening verses? Why was it that Peter couldn't hear the word that was spoken to him? And what was the outcome um, of not being able to hear that, that word? I just, um, I just want to share something. I will answer that. But I just had a, had a thought right then that just struck me that I've never thought about before. And, and Jesus is so good, right? He's this... He's effectively our loving father, even though he's, he's not our father. He's the representation of the father. And he doesn't need to get the last word in. You know, he's, a, he's, he's got the disciples turning up and going, all the disciples said the same thing too. They're, they're arguing with him. But this is the bit that I just saw where he says, this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Who did the rooster crow for? Like the rooster... Jesus put that bit in there so that Peter would have a point of reference because Peter denied Jesus. It wasn't like one after the other necessarily. It was over a period of time. But it wasn't until the rooster crowed that he realized what it was that Jesus had said and the weight of what had been spoken hit him. And it was at that point that he went out and wept bitterly. And I'm like, God, you're so good. He could have just gone... You're going to deny me three times tonight. And where would have Peter have been at that point? At what point would he have realised what it was that he was in? And Jesus went when the roost before the rooster crows, and when the rooster crowed, Peter went, "Oh my goodness!" Boom! It just it just hit him, you know. And I think God's so good for doing that. Like He's so for Peter in this moment that he's looking beyond this present issue and what it is that Peter's dealing with because he sees he sees beyond that. And I feel like um, that's such a massive part of what this passage is about. So Jesus is continually throughout the Gospels speaking about a future reality that to him is already accomplished. He's not predicting it and hoping it happens. It's not this faith that goes, on this day, this thing's going to happen, and and hoping that it's going to happen, he's absolutely assured of it. And you know, so often we go, well, this thing is written, and Jesus isn't working towards these things that are written down. He's not going, okay, well, it's written down that I've got to do this thing here. It's written down because it's already been accomplished in this realm, and therefore. He's speaking it so that people have a point of reference. That's, that's how I see that. Um, yeah, so he says this thing which is true, this statement of this thing which is all going to happen, and his disciples that haven't really worked out who he is yet and how it's going to play out are so full of themselves that they do what Peter always does. No, Lord. <laughs> Let me tell you. Let me tell you how it really is because I've got it all worked out. And I just... You know, for me, I go, if Peter was in, if if this was the post um, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Peter, he would have been a completely different person in this moment because he had a revealed position of who Christ was at that point and he wouldn't have turned up and gone, no, Lord, not this thing that you're saying. He would have been like, if you're saying it, it's true. You know what I mean? What does that look like when Jesus turns around and goes, you guys are going to deny me three times tonight? Oh my goodness, Lord. How could I do this thing? What can I do? The, the, everything changes at that point. But they don't ask that because they're still so full of themselves. No, Lord. Let me tell you. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I love even the way that this what leads into this passage is that he's already speaking their future to them, you know, in terms of his future promise. You know, he says, um, take, eat, this is my body. And then when they had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for you, for many, for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink the fruit of this vine from now on until the day when I drink of it, new with you in my Father's kingdom. You know, and so he starts by prophesying of there's a there's a future coming kingdom that you're going to be part of with me, and here's the covenant that I'm making with you that is actually going to be bigger than what it is that you're about to go through right now. You know, and in fact, everything that he's about to go through 
only helps facilitate yeah. the the ultimate calling and promise that he has for the man, you know. And so, even in the midst of the chaos, it's like you see the the strands of his goodness yeah. all the way through. Hey, you know. So, there's so many dynamics happening here. You know, we could spend forever unpacking this, but I just want to ask you guys a question: Why did Jesus know what was written? He is the living word. Say that. Yep, but how does he know what's written? What was Hebrews 12, 1 and 2? Jesus is the author. So he wrote it. So if you write the book, you know how the book goes, yeah? So he knows exactly what's happening, when it's going to happen, because he wrote the story. So he's perfecting everyone to his own story, because he wrote it and all things have come through him. And this is this reality. So he knows if you eat his flesh and drink his blood, you don't deny him. Which is what comes before the, what happens, isn't it? And so he's always ahead of them, calling him into his reality. Because he said in John 6, you eat my flesh and drink my blood, which is true food, true life. Otherwise, you have no life in you. If you don't have any life in you, you can't live out what I'm calling you to. But I'm the author of the entire story. So I'm always ahead of you, and I'm always calling you into my future reality that's already finished because I've already written it. So he's quoting from Zechariah. All he's doing, and this is what we talked about this morning, if we don't know what's written, we won't be a people of faith. Because faith is connected to what already is. He knows it. They just didn't know it. So like excuse me, Chris said, we're looking at two photoshops here. You know, With hindsight, it's great. But we're looking at disciples who had not yet had the Holy Spirit poured into them. So they are just reacting from his flesh, what he thinks he knows. Here's the kicker. He did know he was the Messiah. So he knows the Messiah, but he's still going to deny the Messiah because he didn't know the way of the Messiah. So Jesus is talking about the way. I'm going to Jerusalem to die. This is my father's plan. He knows he is the Messiah, hence he's still hanging around. Everyone else had left by this stage. John 6, everyone else is buggered off because they don't get what he's talking about. But he knows he's the Messiah, but he doesn't know the way of the Messiah. So when the Messiah says, this is my way, I'm going to die, there's now a clash of ways. And so he gets in his face. And this is exactly what we do when we don't know the way or we don't know the Messiah. So they are pre the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but we can still see the Holy Spirit walking with them. It says in John 6, he is with you, but he will be in you. Okay? Now we have the beautiful hindsight looking back and we see, wow. So look what happens when the Holy Spirit is poured out. If we're acting like Peter here, we're a little bit in trouble because Peter didn't have access to the Holy Spirit. We do. So the greater onus is on us. Because if we find ourselves acting like this, he acted like that because he didn't have access to the Holy Spirit. We have access. We should be like 2 Peter, 1 Peter, the Peter past acts. But everything is foretold. Everything is already written. And this is the challenge. I love the fact that he's bold enough and brass enough and he thinks he's so right. And with that, he's got a conviction. You know, I can respect that. Is that he live, he's living to his conviction. You know, he's not sitting on the fence. He's not lukewarm. He might be cold, but he's pretty cold. You know, he's in Jesus' face going, no. So there's passion there, there's purpose, there's commitment, there's dedication. He's not trying to be anti Christ. He's just living out what he knows, which unfortunately is anti Christ in this moment outside of the rest revelation he's got. Yeah, um, it, it is, but I mean, this is a mindset issue. It's not a sin issue, it's a mindset issue. He doesn't know the way of heaven because his mind's not re renewed to heaven. 
but he knew who the Messiah was because the Father told him. And so it's, it, it, it's not a sin issue, guys, okay? Jesus broke the power of sin off us. It's, a, it's actually a we don't know issue. Yeah. And so we live in accordance to what we know. And this is the whole point behind if we don't know what is already written, we're going to not live to what's written. And this is what I was trying to say this morning. We've created this false faith that you believe in this thing, but you don't really know what you believe in, but you say it's God, but you're walking around really aimlessly just tripping over yourself as opposed to a predestined race that you know and you're running in and you're seeing it and you've got the lane that you're in. You know it. It's not, oh, mate, you know it. It's like I'm looking at you. I've seen it. And my whole life has been run in an alignment to it. And then 10 years ago, I got more of it. And it made me run faster and harder all from the power because I can see it. I can see it now. And so this is the challenge because my faith is anchored in what is written. I'm not making it up. I don't need to make anything up. This is where we've hoodwinked ourselves in the institution. Each church needs to have a vision. Each church needs to have its own purpose. It's all rubbish. It's rubbish, but we believe it. And we get slowly hoodwinked into it. We have a purpose. It's called him. He has a purpose. It's unchangeableness. Sorry, it's unchangeable. Hebrews 6. He's given me a hope to enter within the veil to his purpose, which is unchangeable. The problem is if you can't see it and can't hear it, you create your own. And you draw a whole lot of people to your own because it sounds amazing because it feeds your functional reality because you're still not in fellowship. And so this is the challenge. It's massive. It's everywhere. And it's the dominant player in churchianity. That's um, that's these guys, isn't it? Because they had an idea of who the Messiah was, what it was going to look like, the earthly kingdom that he was going to establish. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Because that's what it's all about. And uh, Peter is really just the spearhead of that movement in that moment, isn't he? He's just the guy that's the most vocal and most committed. But it says, and all the disciples said the same thing too. They were just like, yeah, what he said, that's, that's the right thing. We can't let you die because then how's the kingdom going to work? Yeah. See, this is, and this is the problem. See, when you have head knowledge of scriptures without the spirit, you're asking questions like that. Is it now that you come to restore the kingdom to Israel? So they had head knowledge of the scriptures but didn't have living knowledge. Yeah. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus say you. to that? Not for you to know the times and seasons. Boys, we've got a whole lot of other stuff that needs to go on before we talk about that. You can't even love me yet and your brothers and you're going to deny me. See, it's, it's like they're not getting it. This is after he's come back. So this is an axe. They're still. <laughs> like they've witnessed the resurrection, the death, and they missed all that. And they're still about themselves. Is it now we're going to kick some butt? That's really what they're saying. We're sick and tired of the Romans. Are we now going to be number one top dogs? They said that all through the Gospels, didn't they? Can I be at your right hand? That ain't for you to figure out. It's for who my Father has prepared for that. See, but they are in their flesh. They have no idea what's written, and yet Jesus is speaking to them all the time, isn't he? He's not hiding it. He's right in front going, I'm going to die, then I'm going to rise again. And they didn't hear it. And when you don't hear it, you don't live it. Like Noel said, when you hear it, you obey. And you start living in accordance to what already is. And that's what your faith is anchored in. So if you don't know that, you need to hear this. You don't actually have, or you have very little faith. And like I said, your faith might just be this. I know God is real, which is better than not knowing he's real. But you don't want to stay in that measure of faith your entire life, do you? You want to know what ear hasn't yet heard, don't you? You want to know what eye hasn't yet seen, don't you? You want to know what hasn't entered the heart of man, all that God has already written about. 
all that he has prepared for those who love him. Well, that's not just I love him casually. That is I am consumed and you are the number one person in my world and everyone else is not even a close second. I am obsessed with him. That's what he wants in a good way. And so then the Holy Spirit starts to show those people what's in him. And they live in accordance to that. Do you know it says in Hebrews 11.2 that the great people of Hebrews were approved by their what? So what does it say, Shirley? Faith. So what got them all approved, all the ones you're reading about who are cheering us on, is the same thing that's going to bring you into life. Faith. So that's what got them approved in the old covenant. What do you think faith does now? That's right. And I think in in this here we see a a physical situation taking place. You know, he's prophesying about something that is just about to happen in the next number of days, you know. And, And yet, you know, like, when God is speaking, he's not just speaking about three days in front of us. You know, he's talking about massive, big picture, eternal promises for us to enter into by faith, hey, you know? And yet what's being what's played out here in the micro is really just a typology of of the macro you know, operating systems that are at play potentially in, in the body of Christ. Hey, you know, that if they that if they are like this in this moment, what's that going to mean when He starts to speak to them about the things of of you know that are ultimate and eternal? You know, and so while you know while this was speaking to a specific situation, it's. For, it's for us to enter in beyond that situation and see what lies behind it and receive you know what it is that he's speaking so that we can move forward from you know from the position that they were in hey you know so what is um I, I just had a had a question while I was reading it and I thought this is what Peter says and this to me sums up what it is that Peter's in where he says even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. What does he think he's falling away from? Like how do you, if Christ, the word, the author, is going this way, what are you falling away from? You can't, if you can fall away from him, you haven't truly seen him. You know what I mean? It it just seems like a weird thing to say. I think he's watched people walk away. Um, I'm not sure the full knowledge obviously Peter's in, but we know you can fall away. Hebrews is very clear on that. Those that have tasted of the heavenly things and fall away, they can't be redeemed back. So there's a pretty powerful truth there. You don't want to go anywhere near. Um, so he's just he he he's in his flesh trying to figure it all out. And when you try to figure it out in your flesh, you'll always be anti the spirit because flesh and spirit are anti. They're in opposition. Galatians 5 is very clear. Now, the cool thing about this is Jesus loves us unconditionally. So Jesus has a predestined, predetermined purpose for Peter. So Jesus isn't going anywhere. Peter might walk away, but Jesus ain't walking away from Peter. Jesus will never walk away from you, but you can walk away from him. And yet Jesus speaks and says, I'm going. You need me to go because the Spirit's going to come. But we've got to remember, it all hasn't happened. So put yourself in the shoes of, imagine you really don't know anything yet, which is like now because we're getting to hear about stuff and the same challenge that Peter's getting, we're all getting. It's like, you what, what, you what, what, what are you talking Nah, oh, nah, nah, that's not it, bro. No, no, no. Really? Well, how do you know? Like, where are you getting your knowledge from? Wheat Bix packet, mum and dad. Tradition. Tradition, ceremony, forms of God. Where are you getting your knowledge from? Because the only place to get your knowledge from is the one of knowledge. Because you cannot, you cannot teach yourself. And the beauty about that is it brings everyone to the same place. 
So our starting point becomes the same place, doesn't it? When you all realise you can't teach yourself, we all turn up going, do you know you can't teach yourself, Ollie? No, do you know you can't teach yourself? No, we're in trouble, but actually it's the best place to be. And so Jesus is bringing Peter and all these guys to this place. This is a divine setup. What you're looking at is an absolute divine setup from heaven to earth because earth is full of itself. The only way he's going to get this man to his knees is to take him through everything because he's speaking to him and he's not hearing. So when Jesus knows you're not hearing him, what other option has he got? Don't bring you to the end yourself and just keep speaking. What happens when you're not hearing what he's saying? He he loves you so much, he wants you to get this. So he's got to lead you somewhere where you'll never go. Because you'll never take yourself to the place. Peter doesn't want to take himself here. Peter's in opposition. But God loves him and has covered him because he's got a purpose for him. He goes, okay, you're not hearing? Come with me here. Straight after here is another setup. Takes them into the garden. And then he invites them into his world to say, can you watch with me and pray with me? See, here's the man that's not going to deny him that can't pray for one hour. See, the problem is we're all big and brass, and we think if someone walked in with a gun now and put a gun to our heads, we're all going to not deny Jesus. <laughs> Do you know you deny Jesus? You don't, you don't start denying Jesus when someone puts the gun to your head. You started denying Jesus when you don't hear Jesus. So when someone comes with a gun, if you don't know Jesus, the chances of you actually not denying Jesus are pretty small outside of a work of grace. So here's the big buff Peter. I can do this, I can do this. Oh, okay, let's go, come with me. Let's see if we can pray for one hour. You reckon you're going to deny me in the moment of truth? Let's see if you can pray. (laughs) Tell you right now, if you can't pray, you hear what I'm saying? We can't get into the number one things, never mind trying to be the superhero. It's bravado. Okay, And so it's all a setup, and he takes the three of them, and they can't even stay awake. And then they, Jesus says what? The spirit's willing, but the flesh... Sorry, what does it say? They're right. Flesh is weak. So your spirit's willing, but man, Peter, you're a man of the flesh, and your flesh is dominating you. So it was a micro test, wasn't it? Jesus knows a big test is coming. They're supposed to have learned from this, did they learn? Nah. Okay, boys, here we go again. So the whole thing's a divine setup for them to come to realize what's already established. And that's all they're doing. They're playing catch-up. They're figuring out who they really are in Acts. And he's loving them to that point. Same with us. It's about figuring out the concealed you. Because your life is hidden in the concealed one, yes? So when you were born, Jesus was concealed from you, wasn't he? And you were started life in Jesus, so you were concealed from you too. But you can't figure out who you are until you figure out who he is, because you're hidden in him. Do you hear what I'm saying? The whole thing is concealed from you. So who is the one that helps you see who you really are? The Spirit, the Messiah. He's got to reveal it. So outside of that, and that's why we don't live out who we are, because we don't know who we are, and we live out who we are in the flesh. I love how like, you could just see God's absolute faithfulness eh, throughout every moment, throughout every test to ultimately bring Peter to this place of... You know, coming to know who Christ is and and who He is, and you know, says you're sharing reminds me of Abraham. You know, and God gives a promise to Abraham, and the promise is taking a while, and Abraham's convinced that he can actually manufacture this promise through his flesh. You know, and he goes and gets his gets his wife and you know sleeps with her maid and and produces Ishmael. You know, but even in that moment of Abraham, who was always predestined to be this great father of faith, but in a moment is certainly not living from the predestined faith that he was to enter into. You know, 
it, it still doesn't disqualify him from who God saw him to be from the beginning, you know? Even after taking matters into his own hands and trying in his flesh to create a, an outcome attached to the promise, God's faithfulness remains. Imagine in that in that moment, you know, he has Ishmael and God says, Cool, sorry, mate, that, that's your that's your opportunity. That that's you done, mate. See you, see you later. I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna go to the next person, you know? Isaac. Now it was not it wouldn't be Isaac. <laughs> be his brother, you know, like and, and that you can you can see that even through this entire process, it's like God's hand is at work because he's not looking for Abraham's capability. He's looking to bring him to a place of ultimate humility where he realizes that actually it's God's faithfulness to him that's going to get him through, not his own capacity to do for God what God wanted him to do. You know, And, and to me, that's, you know, he essentially tells him something that he wants him to do that he absolutely cannot do in and of himself, you know? And that's what, what Christ does, eh, you know? It's like the first commandment, love God. Second commandment, love people, you know? All of it is a setup, hey, you know? He asks us to do something that is, it's almost like he says, all right, guys, you know, um, you're human, but be divine. Live like God, you know? Come on. Go ahead, get on with it, you know. But there's, but in and of ourselves, there's absolutely no ability to do that. And yet, in Him, there's the absolute answer. It just doesn't come through natural ability. It comes through surrender and humility and receiving into us what was, you know, promised from the beginning. Here, I love this um, the Luke account of Peter in that moment. And it says, the Lord said, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail and that when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And it's on that that he says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. You know, um, And he says, no, actually, you're going to deny me. Um, but the whole time he's speaking of how it is, of who it is that he is. So straight after that, he says, when I sent you without money bag, knapsack and sandals, did you lack anything? And they're like, no. And he's like, you know, so he's he's speaking about who he is in this process so that Peter's got an anchor yeah. for his faith. You know? Like he's trying to, like, what he's, he must be thinking, what do I need to do? Like I heal people, you're part of that. I do this, you're part of that. I do this, you're part of that. Like, really? You still don't believe me? Like, how am I supposed to have to prove myself to you? The challenge is, though, when you're not of the Spirit, he's got to do all the time until he comes and encounters you. You know, like, literally, have you learned nothing, guys? Well, we're supposed to learn something. Like, this is what's going on, you know? Like, it's, it's, it's literally like, He's the only one in his lane and he's got these 12 guys that have no clue but have information because they know partly the law but their version of the law, not his version of the law because the law is spiritual and they're not. So they've still got their version of the law and so when the one of the law fulfills it, they've still got no idea who he is. And so they're living contrary to him, and he's loving and covering. I love what Sam said about Abraham, because that means that sin's not the thing, is it? But that's what we've made it, see? Because we've come out of Catholicism, and hear what I'm saying, the flesh, we're all about sin. Man is all about sin, and God covers sin. God's all about faith. And so that's why he says, if you don't live by faith, it's a sin. See, God's going, I've covered your sin. You're telling me I haven't. You're calling me a liar. I'm not the liar here. I have done what I've done. You may not know that, but don't tell me I haven't done it. That might just upset me a little bit. No, love covers it. So God's saying, it's not about your sin. I have redeemed that. It's about faith. Okay? Faith in what? Faith in what I say and what I have already pre-established before it even began. And you see it here again because they've, he's asked them to pray. They can't pray, yeah? 
what are they doing? Are you awake or asleep? You physically might be awake. Are you spiritually awake? See, this is the challenge, isn't it? We're supposed to be the most awake people on the planet because we have the spirit, they didn't. But you can have the spirit be physically awake and spiritually asleep. So it's a real shame if Jesus is sleeping and you're awake. Are you asleep when he is asleep? And are you awake when he's awake? Or are you awake when he's sleeping? Can you hear what I'm saying? They're asleep, and he's wide awake physically and spiritually. So then he says this, when all the bad guys come, and this is in uh, Matthew twenty six fifty four. Remember, so they've had this cutting off of the ears. All right? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way? Is Jesus the fulfillment of the law? Okay, so how is everything past that point going to happen if it doesn't happen the way it's written? If you're getting in the way of what's written, Peter, how on earth are you going to become the Peter of the God that, of, that I have in mind for you? So he's chopping off ears, and he says to him, I could call down angels if that was part of the plan, but it's not. But I could. The plan has been foretold. The plan has been written before I was even here. I'm fulfilling my father's plan. For it has to happen because it's already been written. You cannot change what's written. We try through what we call faith. It's just foolishness. So it's written. So why are you getting in my face? Why are you chopping off this dude's ear? He makes everything all right, doesn't he? Because he picks the guy's ear up and he sticks it back on. Like, can you imagine being these people? You are coming to arrest this guy. You don't really know why, but you've just been given orders. And all they are doing, all Peter's doing, is protecting their guy. So you're thinking... Well, sort of that's probably about right because he's, you know, we're on behalf of Caesar and the Pharisees, so we're here to arrest him and he's protecting him, so that's what we do. And yet he's telling his guy off for chopping off and protecting him. That's a bit weird. He's making good on his promise, isn't he? Yeah. I won't deny you. I've got my sword. <laughs> that's right. And so you've got this love covering thing happening. I reckon the guy's like, all they're doing is what we'd be doing, and now he's telling his own guy off, and now he's stuck Malchus's ear back on, he's made that. Like, who are you? That's what should have been the response. Like, who are you? But the point here is Peter's getting schooled, because Jesus is quoting from where? And what's the scripture? Speak up. Yeah, but what, what, where's, he, where's he quoting from? He's not like pulling it out of thin air. What's the literal scripture he's speaking to that has already been established by a prophet? Isaiah. Was Jesus and Isaiah in the same physical time zone? So he's quoting back, whatever, to maybe a couple of thousand years before, something that Isaiah saw and wrote that was going to happen. So why are you getting in the way of this, Peter? Because, Peter, you have no clue, do you, what's written, but you will do. When the Spirit comes in you. Same with you and I. That's, that, that's the thing. So I just want to jump on that because naturally there was no way that they could have worked out that that was Jesus that it was talking about. You know, that's for me is the trick. Like how many times had, how many Pharisees read that passage? Do you know what I mean? And, I know what you mean. Yep, I know and, what you mean. And, and so the Spirit breathes life on it so that there's an understanding of how this is to apply, right? Because sometimes you read some of these things like in Hebrews or whatever and these guys are pulling these bits out and you go, how does that mean that? Like it doesn't make sense naturally that they're taking these passages and these prophecies and going, this is that, this is that. Sometimes it's a half a verse and it's talking about Christ and you're like, man, if, if God didn't illuminate that, that would not have even made sense. 
I'm going to say one thing and then you can sing. <laughs> There's a scripture in Acts, you know, and it talks about how they heard, uh, they, they, they had the scriptures read to them every week in the temple, but they didn't hear the voice of the scriptures, you know. And I think to me... Oh, okay. No, okay. I'm just going to ask you a question. <laughs> to me, that that's what's so fascinating is what you're saying. It's like... The, the scriptures were already written, yeah. but the life behind the scriptures and what they were actually proclaiming was still to be discovered. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, why? Why what? Why didn't? Why does that? What you're saying happen? How is that possible? From a race of people that their whole obsession was the scriptures. Their whole obsession, they could quote you the books inside out. They learned the five books and could speak it by rote. Why on earth those people, when he turns up, don't know him? Why? Well, yeah, well, they they heard they heard naturally and physically and academically, yeah. but they didn't actually hear the word that was that was spoken. Right, to them. it's Why? got to be a divine setup so that no. we're a hundred percent reliant on God on the spirit. Because they weren't of the spirit, yeah. That, that's okay, so the scriptures are of the spirit, yeah. So if you think they actually knew the scriptures, you're fooled. They didn't know their own scriptures because the scriptures, the law is spiritual. The law is holy. Okay, Who gave the Torah? Who gave the law? God. So the Spirit gives it. They ain't of the Spirit. They reject the Spirit. They reject John's message. So all they had was their version of what they thought this was. And so when the one of the Spirit turns up and starts to speak, no, you ain't it, because they weren't it either. So don't think that they understood their own reality. If they did, they wouldn't have killed him. Hello? They're waiting for the one, and yet they crucify him. And then they say they're of him. If you were of Moses, you would believe me, because Moses wrote about me. You weren't of Moses. (gasps) No, he didn't. He said we need to keep the Sabbath. Are you telling me I'm not of Moses? Uh, Yeah, you're of the devil. How about that one? Now that religious spirit crucified him. Do you know we can do exactly the same? When the word goes out, the word is spirit. If you're not of the spirit and hear it in the spirit, you can go, no, hate it. Now you might not physically kill someone, but you do in your mind. In your heart, yeah. in your language, you gossip, you murmur, don't believe that, don't believe that. Oh, well, I rubbish that is, don't believe that. And you destroy and rip down the work of God. Well, you can't, but do you know what I mean? Someone else can be influenced by that. And now you destroy them with your lack. See, this is the challenge. So the whole entire thing is spirit. From start to finish, finish to end, everything in the middle has come from the spirit. Hence, we need to be of the Spirit. Otherwise, we're of the flesh. Now, the cool thing is we have the Spirit. Like We're on the other side of that, aren't we? We're 2,000 years on the other side of the outpouring of the Spirit. So we are not to be demonstrating this type of behavior because we're on the other side of it. Okay, God's covering it. But he's calling us purpose, 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 prophecy, 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 prophecy. Can you hear? Can you hear? Can you hear? Can you see? Can you see? Can you see? Can you hear? Can you hear? You got the spirit to hear. What? Someone say something. Don't take yourself out of this. Peter is a prophetic picture. Peter after Acts is a prophetic picture. Same man, two lives. We need to be on that side of the fence. Now love is covering it to get us there. That was the, the bit that I was just wanting to wanting to speak to a tiny bit is the that if the statement he didn't know what was written inspires you to read more, it's not right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's not about knowing the words that are written down and knowing them really well because without the life of the Spirit to breathe on those and go, this is what I'm saying, we're just knowing words really well. Um, and Because you see Peter post 
the Holy Spirit and he turns up and this is pouring out of him and he's like, this is what Joel wrote about when he said this thing and this is, this is what's happening in the last days and these are the last days and blah, blah, blah. And he's just, and it just keeps coming out because all of a sudden he's got illumination versus he read some stuff and worked it out. So I think, you know, ultimately, like you're saying, this this is a this is a typology and a picture of us, right? You know, and we have to to wrestle with with this in the same way that he did, and go through the same process. You know, maybe not physically, maybe not with our swords, but but in the same, uh, really, ultimately, come to the same place. Say, you know, of. Um, Entering in through revelation, you know, and, and not just written knowledge, you know. I think it's um, it's such a it's such an awesome line there where where Peter goes, I will never fall away, and this is such a, a position of the flesh because this is what I feel like we do as well. We go, um, all of these people they just didn't get it. They just you know the Israelites that were in the wilderness they should have done this or they should have done that, and we we know so much, and yet. That was written for our, for an example for us, because we're actually the same thing. The same gospel that was preached to them has been preached to us, and so this is why this humility and being broken and recognizing, realizing through revelation where we're actually at, without him to illuminate it, is such a healthy position. It's the great leveler. It's the mountains being brought down. Someone's not going to get in because they're extra smart. Someone's not disqualified because they're not smart. God, I have nothing. And I love, I love the fact that like God is always the first to instigate. So he actually gives them what they need by partaking of the bread in his body. See, so if, you, if, you, if your starting point is Matthew 26, 26, the Lord's Supper instituted, it's all a prophetic setup. Now he knows they're not going to get it, but he gives it. So how are we not going to act like this? So how are we not going to be this Peter? What do we need to be doing? Eating and drinking his food, sorry, his body, which is real food, and his blood, which is real drink. Okay? So he's, this is what he starts with. Here you go. Here's me of the covenant. But he knows the Spirit's not in them. But the point is he gives them. So in John 6, come to me. It ain't about the miracles. I'm doing the miracles so you realize I'm the bread. And you need to be eating me, but they're not getting this. So he always gives us everything pertaining to life and godliness. There's no excuse. Okay? All the excuses have to be parked over that side of the room. There is zero excuse to not be in this life. Correct? Because if he's made the way, there is no excuse. So then it's about our choices, correct? It just becomes about choice. So he says, I've given you my son. I've given you my spirit. I've given you my power. We may not know that. So that's why we have to turn and seek and receive that and eat his flesh and drink his blood because he gave us that 2,000 years ago. This is the manna that we need to be partaking of if we're going to live out this life we've been called for. And the last thing I just want to say is if you want to know more about what I said around the law, the spirit, I've put all that on the audio library. There's probably three sections about it's all written, not of Moses, not of the law, and the true Jew is one who worships in the spirit. So if you want more, go look at the audio library on the website and it's all there and consume yourself in that. Oh, any any questions from from the dialogue tonight? Questions? Then have the, his relationship with, with 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 others and with with the Lord would be to act up to live humbly before God, and because that's what God calls us to do to be humble. Live humbly, or something. So, I could possibly see that God's purpose was was that for Peter was for him to to be humbled and to be able to live humbly. Maybe.
Yeah, that's awesome. I, I was thinking in regards to that, you know, Greg's question before, what do you do when your kids aren't listening? <laughs> you know, and it's I was thinking that it's almost like I, I think that Jesus set him up, you know, and, and not in a bad way, but because he was leading him to that place that he would be broken because he saw the life that was on the other side of it. I mean, why did Peter think that it was okay to use a sword? Because Jesus said, has anyone got a sword? Bring it with you. So Peter assumes that that means use it. We didn't say use it, but he did kind of encourage him to bring one. <laughs> you know what I mean? He told him to, you know? But he wasn't, but Peter did what Peter did, and he jumped to a conclusion that wasn't what Jesus was talking about. Cool. Any any other any other takers? Any other questions? Um, just to comment on what Chris was talking about um, about the disciples. I can't remember. Was it Peter or all of them? Um, and how um, they were seeing Jesus a, a scripture that was they'd always known all their life and it's somehow coming alive and being, you know, fulfilled in his life in that situation. And I do think they probably would have seen that quite a lot um, as his as they're walking with him because his life was like a living embodiment of the scripture. So I think that scripture would have been coming alive and um, being revealed to them along the journey. And in the same way in our discipleship with him that we're to become living embodiments of scripture and our life is also coming alive the scripture that speaks about him is is speaking about us and you may find sometimes you might not even be thinking about it but somehow some obscure scripture that you've never even really thought about becomes alive and and you might not even be in an easy situation or a desirable situation but all of a sudden there's Christ being revealed in through his word into your life and into your situation. So that's just something I was reflecting on. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely believe that he can speak a scripture to you and illuminate it to mean something that it wouldn't normally mean or speak a word that to, to one person would mean something, but to you it means something else and you know, I, I have experienced that where you just go, how I, do you get that? I think what we do have to be very careful of, though, is not create scenarios that aren't necessarily there. Okay, So it's very clear that they were not seeing and not hearing. Okay, That doesn't mean pre-spirit living in us now what Linda's saying is happening. Okay, so that's what we sort of can like to do at times to make ourselves feel comfortable or they were sort of getting it. The scriptures have to speak for themselves. We can't let our interpretation of let them say what they say and then wrestle with that Okay, because it's very clear. I mean, I'm not sure about you, but hey, should we go torch these guys? And Jesus looks and says, you two don't know what spirit you are of. What's he saying? Like, what is it? You help me. What is he literally saying? Tell me what he's saying. Because I know what he's saying. That's demonic. That's serious, yeah? Out of you is coming a demonic reality. There's no demon in them. It's their flesh, which is demonic. Okay? So the challenge is we have to allow this, what's written, to form our reality. And that's where it can become quite uncomfortable because all of a sudden now you're looking in the mirror and you might not stack up to what this says. But you can because through repentance and surrender and death, he brings you into that reality. Okay, Because he is constantly loving them but rebuking them because of their behavior. Now, there are times we see when they, you know, we cast out the demon. He's like, great. We did this, great. We did that, great. Cool. Well done. 
okay, which is awesome. But that's under his authority, isn't it? That's under him. He removes himself. So they are doing it under a covering. And then the challenge goes, as the crucifixion comes, now they are able to live, and he's not there, but the Spirit's here. And now the alignment you see is incredible. Minds still need to be renewed and all that stuff, but there's not that enmity which is active opposition against because I don't get what you're doing or saying. And so we just have to acknowledge the reality of that because that's what the Scriptures, and that's what helps you find true repentance. Because when you're made aware of that in your own life, you come down. You break when God shows it to you. And that's what's happening with Peter. Okay, Bravado, 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 bravado. Some cool things happening, but still denying God. Can't lay his life down. Doesn't care about his brothers because when Jesus gave them the command to love, he's not interested. This is his true state. And this is our true state until we all come down. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. You get in trouble. Okay? Now, when he shows Peter that, when the rooster crows, the Bible says he remembered the word of the Lord and bang, and he wept. Now, I know that place. You might just read that. Oh, he had a few tears. Uh-uh. That man started to break that day, okay? and then he was getting ready for the spirit. All of that is preparation for the outpouring in him. Because even when Jesus comes back, he's still not filled, is he? Hey, do you love me? He responds with a brotherly love. So when you go do some study, that word, yes, I love you, it's brotherly. Phileo, it's not agape. Jesus knows that. Three times he asks. Three times he denies. It's patterns. Go in that upper room and wait. We need to get real good at waiting, and we ain't that good at waiting. Cool. All right. Well, we've got some questions uh, that Rochelle will whack on the uh, on the screen there. Um, oh, you got one more, one more question. Last question. Last question, and then we'll do discussion. Oh, so um, just trying to balance up two scriptures because um, Greg, what you were saying before, uh, brilliant. Like you go to. I think it's um, John, no, not John 3, 5, John 3, 9, verses 10. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, are you not a master of Israel and you don't know these things? Like you don't even know what I'm talking about? So I thought that was brilliant just to add to that. But this this is where the question comes into it because, and I wholeheartedly agree with it, but then Jesus says in Matthew 5, 20, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you will never enter the kingdom of God. So we've got something that Jesus says back here in Matthew, and then you've got what he's saying here. You don't even know. So like, yeah, how do we make these, how do these two come to, like, and they, and they fully agree, but I'm just, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, yeah, it's like crash almost, but it's not. But yeah. Well, Nic- Nicodemus and the Jew were trying to be made righteous through the law. Not going to work. So unless your righteousness succeeds, so unless you have my righteousness, you're trying to enter into something through your own righteousness through the law, which is what Paul was trying to do. And he said, by that I've made perfect. He hadn't made any mistakes, but you can't keep it. So it's really just, and so how come you don't know this? John 3. You're a teacher of Israel, and you don't know the way of the one of Israel. So you're trying to enter into life through the law. How come you don't know you can't enter life through the law? So that's what he's wrestling with. So Nicodemus is, once again, it's a beautiful picture of what a man without the spirit looks like and sounds like and does. So Saul, thinking you've got it down because you read words without the illumination of the spirit because the entire thing is spirit. And this is where we have to start. It's spirit, 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 spirit. Everything is defined. You know, we tend to go, oh, the Spirit started when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Rubbish. Spirit is throughout the entire Old Testament. Jesus was walking through them. He was the one they were partaking of. He was the, you know, it's like, sure, there's the physical reality, but if you look at the physical stuff and stop there, you miss it. It's all a means pointing you to a greater reality. 
Hence, the guys are able to partake of the bread when they should be killed. All these things are happening because the spirit trumps and faith trumps. But as we know, as the old, it was individuals. And then the time came when it would be all. And so we're on the side of the all. You know, it's like only one man could enter into behind the veil, yeah? Once a year. And then Jesus turns up and says, okay, okay, boys, everyone come follow me. We're going to the place that only one man could go because the one man has turned up that has the key to that place. Which means what was behind the veil? The one man that went in, what was behind the veil? Yeah, the Shekinah glory, the presence of God. Hence you couldn't go in there. <laughs> Where's that to be now? If Jesus has gone behind that veil and lives from that place on the basis of an indestructible uh, life, where is that glory to be? In us. Well, is it? Like, do you burn? We're to burn and not burn up. So 2 Corinthians 3, ministers of glory, going from glory to glory, because the the Shekinah presence, the glory of the Father that was in that temple, that holy of holy, is now in the temple. This is what this all means. So you burn with glory. Christ in me, the hope of glory. When Jesus manifested himself on the mountain of transfiguration, what were they seeing? His glory. So if he is in you, if you are eating and drinking of his blood the way he intends, that's in you. So there's the formation of why love is covering while he goes to work and wants to build that in us through the partaking of himself. Not through knowing these intellectually, because that is spirit. The law was spirit, the word is spirit. A man or woman who is not hearing and understanding of the spirit will not know the word of God. Full stop. Which means if you don't know the word, you will not be able to live out the word. So you will try to be perfected through other means. And that's what Sam was saying at the start. You won't understand how right you are. You'll be trying to make yourself right through behavior. You'll all be about behavior and modification. And he's going, what are you doing? You're already right. No, I'm not. I've got to do this better. I've got to get over this sin. If I just get over this sin, then I'll have made it. He's like, I've already freed you from it. You just don't know it. You see, see how this, this round the mountain thing keeps going? It's the institutional model. Keeps you bound rather than frees you to run. That's right.